0: Welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. A reading from Romans chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God In my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, the word of the Lord. Please
1: rise. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the eleventh chapter. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. the Gospel of the Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. And uh, There hangs in my office from many years ago a, a framed mirror, and on that mirror, in part, are etched the words from Romans chapter 7, the good that I would do not, I do not. Uh, perhaps the most descriptive passage of all scripture uh, into my own self-reflection over lo these many years. Joyce, you may remember it. Your family provided it. Uh, Also, today it is inescapably uh, 4th of July weekend, and so I want to try We'll see how successfully uh, to take some of both of those realities. Paul's letter to the Romans right there in the 7th chapter which I commend to you uh, and also some of the realities uh, ongoing that we uh, are sharing together not only as the church but as a nation. And so I begin. We hold these truths to be self-evident. These now famous Secular words, you know them, these secular words expressed confidence that while secular in the words, divine providence would make them active and alive. That divine providence made some truths so transparent, so apparent that they ought not require further explanation. Some truths so obvious in nature and by design that to any rational mind, were that mind not clouded by what Christian theology calls sin, such a little word, but uh, we have been powerfully reminded that because something is small, even microscopic, it cannot be profoundly powerful. Okay? Were the mind not clouded by sin, everyone should see truths that are self-evident. First among the propositions of those who signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, was that all men are created equal. And here Thomas Jefferson and the rest saw and articulated a standard, an aspirational goal which they themselves, frankly, never attained. Nowhere were the shortcomings of some of those men more apparent than in the reality of the time of slavery. And slavery as an institution, slavery as it has existed through time in every culture, always serves self-interest. Slavery serves self-interest. The equality of which the founders wrote could see in the idealized Recesses of their mind could even articulate on paper the equality of which they wrote. They themselves were never to achieve, as we know. They could see it, but they could not do it. They could not reach it. To borrow a phrase from Paul, the good they would do, they did not do. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Even though not always overtly religious, this phrase seems to hold in check the avarice of those same men I am describing. The words point to the origin of the truths of the Declaration of Independence that it sought to express, and that is that rights come from God. Rights were not privileges, granted by, as theretofore thought, kings, nor could rights be dispensed by any forthcoming government that might arise here in this place in those days. That God existed, therefore, was understood to be foundational to the rights of all men and all women, and therefore foundational to the very possibility of the formation of a nation, of free people here in this place. Again, as the writers of the Declaration saw it, rights did not and would not come from government, though paradoxically, it would become the government's highest obligation to protect rights, which were, in their words, and a curious choice of words it is, unalienable, from which people could not be separated because rights come from God. Specifically, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Again, words you know. The Declaration's intention seems to have been to expand people's freedoms, and constrict, not overly empower, any coming government at that point in time. That to secure these rights governments are instituted by men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Governments have power, but any governmental power was to be granted by and derived from the consent of those who established it. Government was never to have intrinsic power, only borrowed power. Oh, but the authors knew, (laughs) they knew and understood the minds of men, even as they knew their own minds. They knew that government, more specifically those who occupy the seats of power and authority in government, would always be tempted and often seek and take unto themselves those things which belonged exclusively to the people and could only be granted by God. They called these rights. And so they wrote Whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. These precepts and this relationship existed imperfectly but existed now down through the decades turned centuries. Tested, questioned, explored, tested at times and no test perhaps more severe than the Civil War itself. Those same self-evident truths remain under tension and stress from within and without, even to this day. Increasingly, and I think this is fair to, to observe, increasingly a largely ignorant populace, to them rights are thought the bestowals of those who hold seats of governmental power. And here the word power is key. For these past weeks, turned months, Americans have seen example after smoldering example of illegitimate power. Power not granted by the people. Power, if not given, then taken. This is a living, breathing contradiction to the Constitution and to the Declaration beneath it. No more reconcilable, I'm going to suggest, than the framers who declared all men are equal even while participating in the institution of slavery. Then as now, something very dark is revealed. Something very dark is manifest in human nature regardless of status or station in life. Nothing new but very dark. Human beings seem to struggle with the law and using it for achieving the good. And perhaps this is because the law always as well has to do with power. With that, let's turn now to the Apostle Paul. As I say, I want to try to sit these two things on this weekend beside one another, at least in some form or fashion. Let's turn to the Apostle Paul. The lesson that you've heard, the seventh chapter of the letter he wrote to the church that he founded in the city of Rome has come simply to be called Romans. Let us set a few of the Apostles' insight alongside both the Declaration of Independence and the political scene of this summer of the year 2020. Clearly, the one-time Pharisee knew the law of God. He lived under the law of Rome, but was devoted a Pharisee's Pharisee, as to the law self-described, blameless. Paul knew the law of God, and he acknowledged the law as both good and spiritual, and by which Paul had lived his whole life, yet Paul asserted that Neither desire nor knowledge of law was ever going to be sufficient enough to achieve the good. Even desire and knowledge together, not enough to achieve the good. Righteousness by law, Paul says, will always come up wanting. The law itself is limited in its ability to produce good. But still there remains a close association between good and the law, does there not? Thinking about good and evil, justice and injustice, author and theologian C.S. Lewis observed, No one knows how bad they are, unjust, until they try to do the good, try to do justice. Now back to Paul. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul recognized that motivation and even good intentions do not accomplish the good. Sin prevents that. Were it so, all men were created equal, would not have proven such an elusive aspirational goal in 1776. Paul put his own frustration into words, saying, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Having worn himself ragged in the attempt, Paul's great theological insight, his Damascus Road experience, led him to recognize the ultimate futility of men and women trying to be righteous, good enough, good through the law and by extension through any government. The Greek word for wretched roughly translates into that which is worn out by trying. And so Paul cries out, wretched man that I am, worn out by trying as I am. Who will save me? Who will save me? Did you catch that? Paul did not ask what will save me, such as the law. Rather, who will save me? It was only when Paul turned outside of himself and away from the law that he found his source and his hope. Hope came to him in the person, not the thing, but the person of Jesus Christ. Even more amazingly that person Jesus came to Paul and not the other way around. On the Damascus Road, Jesus challenged, confronted, encountered an angry violent and combative man named Saul. Saul who was armed with the law and hostile to Christ and his church. The man we know, the apostle Paul, would only emerge as Saul let go his anger, his self-righteousness, his devotion to law, his wrong-headed elevation of the law to embrace the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul's great insight. The law can never save. Righteousness is to be accomplished by faith alone. Paul believed and was freed from the law. The law could now serve Paul, freeing Paul to serve Christ, his righteousness. The law was God's means, but not God's end. Paul's authorities, I'm sorry, Paul's priorities were suddenly in the right order. Apart from the law, Paul would go on to write that Christians could even be good citizens within any country and a government of laws. For in but a few more verses, Paul would commend the faithful Romans, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, be subject to but not justified by the laws. And so we are. Some 20 centuries after Paul wrote to the Romans and 244 years after the nation's founding, respect and honor remain in decidedly short supply. In a nation of laws, equality remains as elusive as self-serving opportunity seems to run deep within individuals, and always temptingly so within government. Still, I contend that just what Paul suggested seems clear. No matter how noble human intentions might be, evil always lies close at hand. Martin Luther would put it succinctly when he wrote that Christians, therefore, are people of two kingdoms, perhaps even of two minds at times. First and foremost, to be citizens of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom not being identified by time or place or political party, but by God's grace revealed through Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and forever. For those in Christ, there then can be other kingdoms. For Paul, it was Rome. For Luther, it was Germany. For us, it's these United States. And the two can never be collapsed into one without doing violence to both, nor are they ever entirely separated. Fortunate we are that in 1776, those who founded this began the process of establishing this nation perceived and they invoked the involvement and the participation of the Creator. Their Creator, from whom they, they sensed came and was conferred all rights to be enjoyed, not a privileged few, but by all, and those they declared unalienable. That the writers of the Declaration or the Constitution could not attain themselves individually, perfection ought not see them judged more severely, That you or I, who among us has ever had pure motives that are entirely noble, (laughs) not I. For you see, long ago, Paul's frustrations became my own. The good that I would do, that I do not do, and the evil that I would not do, that I find myself doing. Wretched man that I am, who, not what, who saves me from this ultimate and pervasive frustration? being able to see the good, but not to achieve it. In Paul's words, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So too, Paul's redemption, in the end, not to ask what, but who is your righteousness. And so remember, the rights of citizens of any kingdom, Rome, Germany, or ours, they are enjoyed for a while. God's blessings, through the one who makes all mankind, Righteous, they are forever and so it is on this 4th of July weekend the church can celebrate both being citizens of the kingdom of God the children of God you are but also citizens of this kingdom or any kingdom as the, this kingdom comes and goes and we see before us only and always ultimately God's kingdom My favorite passage, or one of them, in Scripture, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7, For it describes me pretty well. The good that I would do, that I do not do. And the evil that I would not do, that I do. Okay? It is sin, that little word, tiny word, just like the virus microscopic in size and yet capable of such profound destruction that to be saved from it we require not another law but rather a savior that the apostle paul recognized as jesus christ Lo, now so very long ago but who remains the same then today Forever. Amen.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church Miles City, Montana, and email us at flcmidrivers.com. At